Hi, welcome to episode three of Tech Tech Talk. I'm Candice. And I'm Rob. And this episode, we're going to be discussing our subscriptions. So we want to kind of just go through the things that we pay for as poor college students every single month, every single year, and kind of discuss the services that we use. Yeah, definitely. These are the pieces of software that we find the most important, the quintessential services that we find um, were deemed necessary to get through the days here at RPI. And Rob and I kind of talked about this earlier on, but we think that the the idea of software, the way we pay for software, has dramatically changed with like cloud services and like in-app purchases and apps and things like that too. So I think it's only at this point in time in 2016 that we're actually really talking about paying for subscriptions and stuff. I feel like five years ago it wasn't really that same way, right? Yeah, definitely. I think um, you know it's a culmination of a lot of factors that we could definitely dig into, but um, with piracy rates and the rise of mobile software, um, we're just going to see more subscriptions moving forward. And I find more and more of my favorite services transitioning to that model. And so we're actually each going to be discussing three, but me five years from now, we'll each be discussing 15 of the subscriptions that we're subscribed to. Can you believe it? Do you, do you think I can so? absolutely believe that. I was trying to list some of mine the other day, and I'm already you know, perceiving, um, once I get off my parents' plans, to be on like five or seven. Yeah, so let's get started. I'm going to first name my three of the subscriptions that I pay for. And the first one I actually subscribe to is Todoist, Todoist Premium. And so Rob, do you, have you ever heard of Todoist? I'm familiar with the concept, basic to-do app, or maybe not so basic. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about Todoist Premium? Yeah, so I actually went kind of on a, a spiritual journey to find the perfect to-do list app. I definitely am a person that needs one. Um, I have a really terrible memory and I like the act of keeping everything on my phone and making sure I remember all of my tasks and things. Um, I went through a whole bunch like Wonderless, Any.do, Apple Reminders, um, a whole bunch of them. And um, I landed on Todoist based on a friend's recommendation. Um, and the free model is actually pretty good. So if you wanted to ever try it or if you were wanted to look at it, um, you'd actually get by really far by using the free version of Todoist. It's a really clean and minimalistic looking to-do uh, to list app. Um, but the one thing that you have to pay for is reminders. And that's crucial because I always set time reminders and geo location reminders on task. And I, I like the app enough where now I pay, I think, $27 a year for Todoist Premium. So let me get this straight. Todoist works. Um, you create a list of, of tasks, but you don't get any sort of reminder, correct? Yeah, so the free- Unless you pay for premium. Yeah, the exact free version is you get almost all the functionality of Todoist Premium. The only thing is on the mobile applications, you don't get any uh, push notifications. You don't get any reminders at times and things like that too. Um, there's some other things too. You know how every to-do list app is now trying to be collaborative and they want enterprise to use it. There's like collaboration limitations, but I never really do that with people. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some limitations with that as well. But um, I like it. I never saw myself paying for a to-do list app. I just always saw so many free utilities. But I think I actually fell in love with to-do list enough, and I've been with it long enough where I'm, I'm willing to pay. This is my second year paying, actually. So what really makes you go that extra mile and start paying versus something like Apple Reminders, which, albeit it's not as pretty, mm -hmm. um, does have reminders, does have geolocation and time, mm -hmm. and has the nice pleasure of integrating with the operating system. There's handoff with your Mac. Yeah. Um, or something like a Google Reminders. Just type it into Google search and there's your reminder. I like. I want to. I think especially with the to-do list app, I was, I've been so picky. Um, sometimes I can't even verbalize what I like and what I don't like. I think for Todoist, it was an app that I found with the least amount of friction for me to input tasks and to organize it. And it matched most closely to the way I think about um, organizing my life that I was willing to pay. 
<laughs> for other apps, I feel like I'm a little bit more logical in choosing solutions that might be free or more inexpensive or more integrated. Um, but I guess this is the one piece of software splurge that I use to really help keep me organized. And it looks like it does. I'm just glancing at it now, but you have a full to-do list. Yeah, and like you can collapse things and archive things and like you can do multi-tiered tasks, which helps me manage school projects and I break down tasks that way. Um, and we can discuss that more in a more in-depth productivity episode. Um, but I don't know, I like I can't explain why I'm willing to pay for it, but it's so frictionless. And I think once every person finds that one application they feel like they can dump their mind into, I think it's definitely just worth the, the 27 bucks. Mm-hmm. That's an annual fee? That's an annual fee and renews. I have it renew actually when the school year starts. So it makes me feel like I'm like starting the school year off on a on the right foot and stuff. Yes, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah, very good. Cool. And so the next one that kind of goes with the Duoist, and it's probably not a surprise to Rob, and it might not be a surprise to many people who know me, but I do pay for Evernote Premium. Premium. Now that is the top tier, right? I know there's an intermediate tier. So yeah, actually, I the funny thing is I actually have no idea what tier I am on now. <laughs> it's changed in the last year. So previously, it was all free Evernote. And then if you paid, I believe, $45 a year, you gave, were given premium. And you were given unlimited file uploads um, to their service for all the files. And you can also do more complex OCR, things like that, too. I actually only really paid because I went completely paperless my sophomore year of college, if you didn't know, Rob. So I actually own two scanners, and I use an app on my phone, and I really made an effort to take all my notes on my iPad and things like that, too. Um, as a senior now, coming back into college after being away for a year, I still use a little bit more paper than I did my sophomore year, but Evernote is still pretty integral. I don't use all the capabilities, and at this point, I think it's one of those services that I'm paying for right now because I like the service and I want them to continue. I know recently they've had some troubles, their CEO left, uh, and they've been having some issues about their product focus and what they really want to be as a company. But I want them to succeed. I've always loved the company and culture, and I love the fundamental product of Evernote. But do you use Evernote? I've never asked you. Yeah, um, so you know, speaking of spiritual journeys, I too have been going through a number of Note apps. Right now, I definitely have a serious problem. I use um, Apple Notes on my phone. Mm-hmm. I use Google Keep. I use OneNote. And I use Evernote, and I feel like there might even be like a fifth one in there, because I'm really not sure what to do. I'm on that journey right now, trying to find true enlightenment in the note-taking <laughs> world. Um, but yeah, so I use Evernote as kind of my personal diary and reading list. Whenever okay. I find a really good article, I save it in Evernote with like my thoughts. I use OneNote for school. I use Google Keep, um, kind of as a legacy now from my Android days. And I'm starting to use Apple Notes more just for like quick little sticky note kind of things. Um, but I like Evernote. I think it's really powerful. The only reason I use Apple Notes is because of the integration right into the phone. Yeah. And because I feel like for Evernote, for a quick note, it's just not quite as convenient There's for me. too much friction. Mm-hmm. I've actually, I've always gotten curious enough where I want to switch to Apple Notes for a little bit because especially with the newest version and iOS 9 with the rich text formatting and you can actually do like web snippets very similar to the Evernote Web Flipper, I'm so tempted. But then I always feel guilty because I don't want all my notes in, in two different places, right? I want it all centralized. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I do not like my solution right now, but I literally have years of school notes in one note, so it looks like I'm not leaving that. I have all the way through high school in that thing. Oh, really? So you yeah. took all of your notes. Were you allowed to take notes and stuff in high school with a laptop? What I would do is I make all my study guides in one note. Oh, okay. I personally, um, this might be a little weird, but I don't take notes in classes. I find it's distracting for me. I pay much better attention if I'm focused and there and looking at the lecture. Um, that's something my eighth grade Spanish teacher told me. He actually told me to stop taking notes in his class, and my grades started becoming a lot better. So I've not been taking notes in class ever since. But I usually go back after the class and go through the material 
and then write it down. And that's what I use my OneNote for. So um, it worked for me. Out of all the note services, like which one do you like the most? Because you've used now, you've used more than me. I think Evernote is the most feature complete and definitely is one of the best user interfaces. I've noticed the more I use OneNote, and this could have to do with my organization, but the more I use it, the more convoluted it is to use because there's only a limited number of tabs and it's hard to move a note once, or uh, I guess a, yeah, I guess a section is the right word. Once you make it there, it's not as frictionless and there's definitely a lot of legacy support that gets in the way, but it is powerful. Believe me, it's powerful. Um, it works good for school because I feel like it's a little more focused on that kind of writing. Mm-hmm. Evernote is a very free form and I really like that about it. Evernote, I would probably say is like my favorite one, but um, as I'll get to, I also pay for Office 365. Um, for those of you who might've been listening before, I was previously a very big Microsoft user, so there has been a lot of investment made on my part already. Yeah, Rob area. was actually one of two uh, Windows Mobile or Windows Phone users I actually ever met in college. Yeah. And it was shocking. <laughs> I still love Windows Phone 8, but that's definitely a podcast for another day. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of investment on my part, and that's why I don't think I'm ever going to be able to truly leave OneNote. Yeah, but, there's just too much um, legacy in it. I have the same problem too. Like all of my high school stuff and all my college application stuff, while I don't use it regularly, obviously, um, I don't want to leave it behind in a system. Yeah. And I feel guilty archiving it or moving it out, but I just always want it, but then it always ends up cluttering my system. Exactly. So I have it, but I would kind of agree with you. I think Evernote has a lot of nice features to it. Um, and there's stuff I want to explore more definitely. Um, maybe one day we'll be producing this podcast using WorkChat, right? That's the thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like. I, I was the biggest Evernote fangirl. A lot of people, like, I met the CEO, I went to the convention, like, I want to go to their annual larger convention, but a lot of Evernote has now started to focus more on the product. So they've had struggles recently, like, their CEO left, um, and there's been complaints that they pushed a lot of enterprise features that weren't ready, and they lost focus, and Evernote got slower and more inconsistent. So that's upsetting to me, that's disappointing, but I think this new refocus gives potential for something better. Um, I'm not currently the happiest with this current version of Evernote. I think it could be a lot better and a lot lighter, but I'm looking towards the future. And I'm already so invested at this Mm. point. Yeah, and to be fair, they have made some improvements. I I like the drawing features a little bit better. Yeah. And they've been quick to update their app with a nice visual interface. Yeah, I just want, once again, like, I don't know how to verbalize it otherwise, but I want less friction to make that quick note, right? Like, that's always the hardest thing. It takes a second too long, maybe, for it to open to make a note. That's a fair point, and that's why Google Keep and um, Windows is sticking out features. I and mean, those yeah. are killer features, simple as they are. So many people use so it easy. too, right? Like, don't you see mm-hmm. so many kids who are not very tech savvy just like pop open a sticky note in Windows and like type stuff in? Oh, yeah, I, I love that. It's so easy and it just works, you know? It's right there in your home screen. There's nothing hard to do about it. You can cover up with a window. It's, it's just exactly how you'd want a sticky note to be on your computer without the clutter. My biggest fear though, I guess I'm one of those people that love systems, is like, I'm always terrified of putting things into such an isolated note because it doesn't sync with anything and if like, your computer shuts down or you need it somewhere else. Like that's why I'm, I'm always so invested into going systems that are everywhere. Yeah, well, Google Keep. Yeah, maybe Google Keep <laughs> is my next solution. I have to check it out. But once again, it's like that guilt of cheating on Evernote. Yeah. And it's not as feature complete as Evernote by any stretch of the imagination. But maybe I don't like that. Maybe I need a little less complexity in my life, Rob. <laughs> yeah. All right, and the, my, the very last one that I subscribe to, I guess all of my stuff is on a very productivity theme. It's just Google Drive. And this actually only came up recently. I own a Chromebook, which I got as a gift about two years ago, it's two Christmases ago, and it came with 100 gigabytes of free Google Drive storage, and I use it a lot to actually upload a lot of the footage from my brother's wedding and a lot of my family pictures and home movies. And so when the expiration came with the free storage, I was over the limit. And so truthfully, instead of just having to worry about moving things out and putting onto hard drives, 
I just decided to pay a dollar ninety nine a month for the uh, hundred gigabytes of storage. And so, um, something I'm struggling with now, kind of going off of that, I, um, which I'll get into, heavily invested in a lot of Microsoft services. Yeah. I have a Dropbox. We both have an iCloud. I know. Um, I can't think of any other storage providers. There is Mega too. I use Box. Have you Box? Ever used, yeah, I use Box. I used it this summer a little bit with work. Um, so why have you stuck with Google Drive? Why have you made the investment in that? What was really a differentiating factor, aside from just already having your stuff? I think truthfully, I like Dropbox more in terms of a product and design-wise. I just feel like it's a little bit more consistent. And a couple of times, I don't like having, something like Google, like I don't like having the Google files, like the Google document files. And I've had some syncing issues once in a while. Dropbox has always been consistent. But I think I'm already so deep into the ecosystem with Gmail, and especially now with Google Photos. So currently my Google Photos are optimized where they don't take up any space under my quota. But I like having everything in one. I don't know. I trust Google in a way where they've never done me wrong with all the services since my first Gmail in 2005, 2006. So I feel like I'm willing to invest. And $1.99 I feel like is a lot more affordable. Has Dropbox changed their pricing? It used to be expensive, right? Dropbox is currently, um, I think it's in line with pretty much everybody else. Or actually, I think it's a little bit cheaper now. I believe it's $100 for a year for one terabyte of storage plus some of their fancier file sharing features um, versus iCloud's pricing is almost exactly in line with Google's. Mm -hmm. um, and OneDrive is a little bit cheaper. They're at that $100 a year thing too, I believe. But you get Office 365 with that, yeah. which does make it a similar offering to Google's, but um, you also get Skype minutes. And oh, they, you do? How many Skype minutes? Like, do you? I never use them, but I get 60 minutes a month. And you know, before they were offering unlimited storage, which was... Really awesome. Until that whole debacle came up, right? And they took Until stuff recently. away, right? Yeah. Uh, but I don't really know aside from that. I, I like it. I always use Google Docs. I rarely ever type up my assignments and homework through Word or Pages. But once again, just because of the fear of not syncing or something happening to the software on my computer. I don't know. I'm just very reliant. I've been very reliant on the Google products since I think probably before college because I've always used it. I've never really used a traditional word processing program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I would love to transition more to Google Docs because the more I use Microsoft Office, and now that it isn't a great program, but the more fragmented my files get, I'll save them on one computer, I'll save them on another. OneDrive mitigates some of that, but Google Drive is a very centralized solution. And yeah. truth be told, all my friends are using Google Drive Once for again, classwork yeah. and stuff. It's like the network effect, right? Like yeah. when you start collaborating with classmates, like our school isn't a Google education-based school. So not everyone, our email actually doesn't go through Google. It's their own home run, like their own version of of email, but everyone has a Gmail. And so when you're working on a class project, right? Like I'm like, hey Rob, like what's your Gmail? Type it in and instantly we're able to start working on a document. Oh, yeah, and you would not believe how upset people get when you ask them to do a Microsoft Word online document. I've tried, people just get frustrated. Like what is going on? I used it about a year and a half ago for a project for a client that could only use uh, Office 365 and I found it very frustrating. Yeah, it has gotten better. I believe sense. it, I believe it. But I remember at one point we had to submit something and it was a deadline and we had lost a chunk of work because it just didn't sync. And I feel like with any type of service like that, of any of the services we've discussed, if there's just that one time of extreme failure, then you're never likely to trust it again, right? That's Definitely. the thing. On the contrary though, somebody very recently released um, the web versions of Office in the Mac App Store for $30. They just put a window around it and released it as its own version. And they were like number five on the paid apps. They were charging $30 for a free product. Was it like misleading where people thought it was? Yes, a, it was misleading, okay. but they had great reviews and it was killing it in the App Store. Which was it hysterical. really? That's, that's the best part. Yeah, so it's, they've gotten a lot better. And I think in some ways they are actually more powerful versions than what is 
available. Um, Office 2016 has improved on the Mac, but yeah. if you're running anything older, I think it's a much better version. I'll be very honest with you, Rob. I, like, I, I approached you about like how much Office 365 costs because I've heard really great things about the iPad, like the iPad versions of Office 365. I'm still running Office 2011 on my Mac, and I don't have it on my iPad. And I was like very tempted to move away off of Google Docs because Google Docs currently doesn't have split screen for the iPad. Oh. So I heard the apps are great on an iPad. If I ever tried an iPad Pro, it would be awesome to do schoolwork uh, with Office on my iPad, like with Safari and stuff like that too. But I don't know. I don't think I'm ready yet. I'm just waiting for Google Docs to update their iOS apps. But can you convince me? I can try. And you know, something else that I think is really interesting is Microsoft has transformed OneDrive, or sorry, my Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and made them much more open utilities. So like if you open a document in Dropbox in the mobile app, um, Dropbox is working on their own Word document processor, but it will direct you to Microsoft services now. Oh, so really? it's like a funnel for our, all your Word documents, which I think is really cool. Um, but I have an extra key if you want, so we could try to put it on there and try it out for the next episode. Should we try a, uh, should I try an Office 365 sabbatical? <laughs> is that what we're calling it whenever I join into something new away from Apple? A sabbatical, a purge. A purge, yeah. <laughs> no, I'd be willing, definitely willing. I actually, I think they're doing a really great job most recently with their iOS products. Have you tried their Outlook application? I tried it once. Um, I didn't have the same successes from you, but I was impressed. I was upset that I couldn't fully utilize it because um, of some of my aliases and the way it was set up. I think I messed up. That was in my own configuration okay. problems, but I've, I am impressed with their product. I think they're doing a lot of great stuff right now. I'm surprised that I'm using it. I'm surprised that I'm recommending it to people, but it's been spot on. It's been fast too. It retrieves my mail really quickly. You know what I'm really excited for? When they finally released the Word, WordFlow keyboard onto iOS, it's been announced. And um, as a Windows Phone fan, that was the hardest thing to leave. So that's like the one-handed keyboard? Is that? It, um, I think it has a one-handed mode, but just the keyboard itself was so good. I love the keyboard on Windows Phone. Oh, it was really? probably one of my favorite features. I'm excited to try that now. I've, I've heard really great things about that keyboard in particular. And I haven't gone off the stock one recently. Like there was that you know big influx of third-party keyboards. They came out with iOS 8 and like all of them were so buggy and crashy that I was just like, I can't deal with this. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. I'm always hesitant of third-party keyboards, too, after that. But I have high hopes. Yeah. All right, Rob, it is your turn. So tell us, what services do you subscribe to? Sure. Um, so really quick, right off the bat, I've kind of gone off on it a bit. But I do subscribe to Office 365. I'm a happy subscriber. Um, I'm probably going to keep subscribing for a fair bit. It served me well. But I am exploring other options. Are you planning to keep subscribing to it after you're done with college? That's true. I should note I'm on an office university, so that's mm -hmm. $80 for four years, which is a great deal, $20 a year, and you get all the services. And right now I have over 10 terabytes of OneDrive storage, so that's pretty nice. <laughs> Very handy. Yeah, not unlimited, but basically. Um, and yeah, it's been great. Kind of a lot of what I already said, but will I continue? Um, probably. I feel like Word you know, despite what our classmates might use, it's pretty ubiquitous. Yeah. I find PowerPoint actually, um, and our producer would probably laugh at me for saying this, but I use it as a, as a drawing utility. <laughs> that definitely speaks to my lack of experience with other programs, but I'm good with PowerPoint. If I need to make a, you know, a quick image, it's the best thing I, I have. Oh, the best really? tool I have. That's interesting. I've actually never heard anyone say that about PowerPoint, using it as like their drawing tool. That definitely, I think, harks back to my education. I believe it, though. Like, it'd be a great animation tool, too, right? Like, you can do movement and stuff, too, if you had to do, like, really rudimentary stuff. Okay. I'm for, I forgot to do this, but I know you can. Um, but if you just want to, like, string together a couple shapes to make like, a really quick, dirty mm -hmm. mock-up, highlight all and just hit group, then you can just save it as an image. You don't even, you don't even have to save the slide. Oh, you can it's just really save good. the selection as an image. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of my paint replacement since I switched to a Mac. Um, 
I'm sure there's better options, but that's oh, I have to switch you to Sketch and Pixelmator. Those are like my those are, that's my duo that I would rely on too for the Mac. Yeah. Nothing can. Well, going off that, um, I do subscribe to Creative Cloud, so I have no excuse for using PowerPoint. Let's be very clear. But I have access to. So you're a man that has full access <laughs> to the Adobe suite of creative products, but you, Rob, use PowerPoint for I, graphics. I'm an embarrassment to myself. Let's be honest. <laughs> But yeah, I do use Creative Cloud. Like just today, here's a great example. I was creating ER diagrams for my database class and I was trying to draw an arrow on the end of the lines because the program I was using to make the diagrams didn't allow me to do that. And I tried forever in Photoshop to create an arrow, which I probably should have been using Illustrator, but that's besides the point. So I was trying to make this arrow and I couldn't do it. I was looking up tutorials and everything's for like CS6 because not as many people bought into Creative Cloud. So I finally said, screw it, opened it up in PowerPoint and I finished the assignment. You like mean the triangle and then you made a rectangle and then did you group them together? Is that what you did? I was trying to use the pen tool and draw them. Oh, okay. And it was so bad. I tried to copy it and I have to make a different layer for each little triangle. I don't know what I was doing wrong, but I was like, forget it. I did it in PowerPoint in five minutes. PowerPoint's the best. <laughs> Yeah, so I have a serious problem, but I do use the Creative Suite in other ways. Mm -hmm. This podcast is produced using Audition, which okay. is in the Creative Suite. Um, I've used Premiere quite a bit, and I'm proficient, I'd say, in Photoshop. Clearly not a drawing, but mm -hmm. I can get my, get by. And um, I used to be better, but I was decent in Illustrator. So I use those, um, and I like Creative Cloud. I think it's an interesting product. I like the model better, actually. I hate that where you have to pay like $100 for each of their programs, and Adobe has so many programs, it's yeah. crazy. So it's very convenient. Um, I do get a discount through one of the clubs I'm part of, which is part of my why I have the subscription. But I really enjoy it, and I probably will buy it. After You're probably that. gonna. That's my next question for you. Are you planning to like renew when it does expire? Yeah, and it's something I definitely need to use more. Um, aside from my inexperience, I know they also offer a cloud storage offering, which oh, I'm yeah. not taking advantage of right now. And I but you have be. ten terabytes, Rob. Like, or <laughs> what else? What else would you need? Well, as I mentioned to you, I'm talking about um, migrating off of OneDrive because I'm pretty sure, um, and somebody can fact check me on this. Microsoft is reducing that storage. Yeah. It might stay at 10 terabytes. It might go down to one though, I'm not sure. And they haven't really talked a lot about that, but they cropped, they um, they slashed it for the free tier. It used to be 25, I think now it's uh, either five or 10, maybe 15. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not so much that I can't get by with one terabyte even. But I'm not like, even using 50 It's gigs. like the act of them doing it, right? Exactly. It's like the principle of them doing it makes mm -hmm. you nervous. It does, definitely. And you know, with so much stuff on Google Drive, um, or me being so much more, cross-platform right now. I'm not sure if I want to be so invested in OneDrive. I'm really not, so I'm definitely evaluating that right now. But um, that said, I'm still backing up all my photos in OneDrive. I'm still using it for documents. It's not out of my life yet. You're like the last guy that I know, Rob. And when I first met you, you were a Windows Phone user, and I was very surprised when you showed off your phone. I looked at it, and I never saw anyone else in the wild with it. Uh, but you're the last one. If you ever move off of OneDrive, like, that's it. <laughs> I don't know anyone else. Just other users. I wonder if it's a good product. I know a lot of businesses use it. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. I have a lot of stuff on there, so will I ever get totally off? Probably not. I have a lot of my computers backed up on there, actually, because the storage is so big. So we'll see. And I know that's why they're reducing it. I'm the reason why. I'm the worst. You're literally the 1% <laughs> of OneDrive users. And then um, the last one on my list, which is kind of two, um, I subscribe to Xbox Live and EA Access. I'm a bit more of a gamer than Candice. Um, and these are two products that... I definitely have seen mature a lot and I'm really happy with. So um, with the Xbox One, some of the changes that they came out, um, that came out of Microsoft that are kind of following suit with Sony are now they're offering free games. Um, and Xbox Live also has, um, you know, the dedicated servers. They've done a lot to improve their cloud offering. Mm -hmm. um, something that blew me away was when they released backwards compatibility for the Xbox One, my store, my save files for my Xbox 360 
were on my Xbox Live account. Oh. So I logged into Gears of War 3 and I picked up with like all my progress still there, all my high scores, everything. It was it was surreal, you know? You load it back up and everything was still there. That was really, really That's cool. cool. Yeah, and then EA Access is another one I use. Um, so what's that actually? Is that like EA makes like a lot of sports games and stuff, but what is that service? Sure, um, so full disclosure, I'm actually a very, very small investor in EA. <laughs> I think I own like one share. Um, the total side story. But um, so EA released this, pro pl this platform about two years ago called EA Access. It's $30 for the year, which is half the price of one, of one of their AAA games. And you get access to the EA Vault. And what that is, is a bunch of their older games, but they're free. So you can just play them anytime. And you also get discounts on EA products for $30 a year, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I can tell you right now on my Xbox One, I have one game that I own, which is the Master Chief Collection. And every other game I have is either free through Xbox Live or free through EA Access. So oh, wow. I pay $90 a year, but I get, um, I, have, I have probably 50 games on my Xbox right it's now. It's all legacy from your 360 collection and then also EA. Yeah, so I have legacy and two free games, four free games every month now actually. Oh, through your? Through my live subscription. I probably should have harked on that a little more. And then I get the EA library. I don't even have all of those downloaded. How but... far back, like, how old are the games that you can access to for like EA games? Like, can you get like 2015 NBA or like? They're pretty good. Um, so what they've been doing, and it is a very new service. They just released it for the PC um, within at the very end of 2015. But they have access to like the vault. So I think they have every like NBA through when the Xbox One was released. Oh so wow! So it's pretty nice, and they keep adding more all the time. So you check back in, it's like, oh, cool, I have more That's games like pretty, to play. I was expecting you to say, like, oh, they only have it up to, like, 2005, but it's not bad. <laughs> no, it's pretty, they don't have stuff that old because it wasn't on the platform, but it's pretty good. Like, they have pretty recent ones. They have last year's NBA on oh, there Oh, okay, free. that's very impressive. It is, and for the price, you can't beat it. You're paying half price for all these games. Um, so I started playing, like, Titanfall for a lot lately. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but um, I never had to pay for anything, and it came with all the DLC. Well, that was, actually, that's not related, but... It's been great. It's been super a super great value. My only gripe with it is they released a separate service for the PC. And as somebody who also uses Origin, which is their um, PC platform, my games don't sync across. Um. So I, I bought Titanfall on Origin and not on the Xbox. But now that I have both copies, my data is totally separate. So I could be level 100 in Titanfall on my Xbox. But you can't bring them back one. to PC. So I'm sure that's in the works, but that's my only gripe. Right now it's great value and good games. Cool. Um, so now we're going to just continue with kind of our crossover list. So these are things that both Rob and I subscribe to. I guess the first one is going to be a really easy one to describe. I think every college student, pretty much any person I feel like under the age of 60 or 70, subscribes <laughs> to Netflix. Yeah. Um, and so we each do as well. Um, I share it with family members. Do you share it as well? Yep, or is it just that's you? correct. All five of my family members. And it's pretty ubiquitous. I don't think we really have to talk about it. I watch a lot of Parks and Rec. Um, I watch The Office and I watch Gilmore Girls. But what do you mainly watch on Netflix? Yeah, I definitely, um, it's got me into some TV shows. Right now I'm watching Better Call Saul a lot. But I think, you know, we almost should have started with Netflix because in a lot of ways, um, while they weren't the first subscription service by any means, I think Netflix brought the focus on web-based services to the forefront of um, mass consumer attention a lot more than a lot of other products have. Um, they were kind of the first one of all the services we've listed so far, except maybe Xbox Live. Mm -hmm. I don't think any others have been... Um, as innovative and pushing that. And even Xbox Live, you know, I think that fee initially was very much um, just a cash grab for Microsoft because it was just to keep the servers running. They didn't provide any extras right off the bat. Yeah. So Netflix was really 
um, great and instrumental to changing that. And do you remember when they switched to streaming? Yeah, I like I for a while I actually really considered switching to the DVD service a lot earlier on because I really wanted all the DVD series to Gilmore Girls, and it was super expensive to buy the box set, and I heavily considered paying monthly to get them shipped to me. Yeah, and now everybody's on streaming. I remember people were like screaming; they were so mad when it first happened, and now it's like nobody wants to go back except for Gilmore Girls DVD boxes, of course. Well, now they have the whole series on Gilmore <laughs> Girls, and they're bringing back the uh, the new series, like the follow up oh, really? series. I'm very, very happy with Netflix as both uh, a service provider and content producer, and that's probably one big thing too. Like they've moved into producing content, and uh, a lot of the stuff they've been making has actually been really, really excellent. I was really apprehensive at first when they announce a couple of their own series, but like Orange is the New Black, um, even Arrested Development, the new like the new season that they have, it's okay, but it's really cool that they've been producing content as well. Um, I've been listening to more investing-focused podcasts, and something I heard the other day um, with John Gruber and Joshua Topolsky on the Today Show, or Today Podcast, not Today Show, <laughs> um, there's this grouping called FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and, um, oh God, one of the services that starts with the G, which I can't remember, but the, the point I'm trying to get across is here is Netflix is now seen by a lot of the um, financial professionals as almost a metric on the media industry and how it's going. So I think that really speaks to the breadth it has yeah. and how ubiquitous it is and the changes it's had across um, not only the tech industry, the financial modeling for a lot of software products, but also just um, media or life as a whole. It's included in index. It is a normalized part of like, it's part of, it's like almost slang or vocabulary it's like ubiquitous it's like almost like, like xerox jello band-aid right when you netflix you netflix know and chill. yeah when you talk about netflix and chill <laughs> you don't say amazon prime video and chill right exactly yeah i'm not gonna hulu plus and chill yeah even hulu plus which is which i feel like came out a little bit afterwards i remember i subscribed to hulu for a month because i wanted to watch i think it was Grey's anatomy or something and i was so angry by the fact that even though you pay a monthly subscription you still get ads in between shows. I was like, no more. I'm shocked Hulu is still in business, honestly. Like, that is a killer for me. Netflix does it right, you know? It's it's fair to you. You pay the money. You shouldn't be subjective to, subjected to ads. Yeah, I fully agree. And I feel like a lot of their original content is a little bit better, too, because I watched a little bit of, like, the mini project, which is a Hulu exclusive, and it's okay, but I feel like Netflix is really creating the the award-deserving content. Definitely. And, um... On cloud infrastructure too, Reed Hastings and his company are really pushing the borders. Um, they contribute a lot to open source and a lot of their projects I know are used across industries. Um, oh. Where I was working last summer, which was health insurer, they were actually implementing a lot of Netflix's code within their own work to distribute some of their systems. So oh, cool. they're a really powerful company and the impact they have is felt everywhere. Yeah. All right, so we actually had a lot more to say about Netflix than I <laughs> originally expected, but we're big fans, Definitely. obviously, because we're also just both American college students. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, so our next one is Apple Music, um, and this is I think could definitely be its own episode in a lot of ways. But um, Candice, I know you and I are both have both been subscribers since the beginning, since the free trial. What made you go to Apple Music? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but were you not using Spotify before? So I actually started subscribing for Spotify Premium right at the tail end of high school. So I feel like I was the only high school I knew personally who was paying for Spotify Premium, and I used it a lot for study music, and I didn't like the advertisements. Um, and I was paying for Spotify Premium with the student discount up until Apple Music came out, and that's when I switched over. Okay, so you're actually paying more now for Apple Music. Yeah, so at this point, the only reason why I'm staying on Apple Music is too many reasons. First one is kind of what you always usually say is for integration. So I like the Siri integration. I like how it's the app that comes bundled in with my iPhone, uh, and I like the ubiquity and how it's almost like 
it, it is the iPod at this point. Second part is I'm actually on the family share plan. So my brother and his wife were planning to use Apple Music and they were planning to do the $15 a month subscription. And since everyone in my family has an iPhone, my mom, my brother, my sister-in-law, and I are all on the plan together now. And so it's just made it more affordable. I'm actually really not paying for it at this point. My brother is kind of footing the bill, so. Well, it's the same way I am with Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So those are the two main reasons. If one of those reasons were to go away, like if my brother kicked me off the plan or um, for some reason it just really worked so poorly that it bricked my iPhone, I would switch back to Spotify instantly. Interesting. So I am paying for it out of pocket, actually. Um, and I'm not sure I feel about it. You know, it, it is good. Like, I like Apple Music. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I'm still buying into it is really, like, the promise of the future. Yeah. Right now, at this point in time, I think Spotify has a better offering with their weekly playlists, the running features, um, the kind of content they pull, you know. Yeah. Except for Taylor Swift, I can't think of a lot of other reasons that Apple Music is a better choice than Spotify. Um, but that said, I have a lot of faith in what Apple will do with it. And I am a user of a lot of Apple products, like yourself. Um, so I think I'm interesting down the road to see what they do when they break it out. They put it into, um, well, they have integrated into the Apple TV, um, the watch, the computer, everything. Um, so, so I'm hopeful for the future. And I just got the Sonos integration. Yeah. And yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I'm paying for the future. I think at some point, I think the service of Apple Music has to break out of what is the legacy shell of iTunes, right? Like that's the biggest complaint at this point. Like iTunes is so bloated and there's so much old legacy code that hasn't been used. It's exciting to think one day Apple can make, you know how like iMovie 08 came out and it was a complete rewrite of iMovie 06 mm-hmm. and had it was missing features, but in the end it was a more intuitive way to edit films. I'm waiting for that version of iTunes to emerge. And it might not even be called iTunes, it might be called Apple Music app or something, but I think that's what I'm excited for. Yeah, um, and you know, I totally agree with you. I think it's really interesting right now. They're, they've almost become the Microsoft of the music industry mm-hmm. because iTunes is so big, they can't just like take it off and put it back up. So we'll see what happens, but I, I completely agree. I want to see what happens in the future. So that's why I'm here paying $10 a month. And so the next one is Amazon Prime. So once again, we're both college students subscribe to Amazon Prime. Uh, what do you mainly use Prime for? Because since it's so many different facets. So I've been using Prime a lot more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I realize, you know, going out and buying groceries is time consuming. It's not that cost effective when I can buy it cheaper online. So I've been using Amazon Prime. Um, as mentioned in previous episodes, I also got a dash button. And recently I've been really excited by the idea of the kind of on-demand economy um, and that home automation kind of stuff. So that's what excites me about Amazon. And it makes me feel very, you know, futuristic when I'm shopping with them. Yeah. And it's so easy. It's hassle-free. Um, and something very underused are the services that come with Amazon Prime, which yeah. I should take more advantage of personally. The unlimited photo backup, the music, the movies, a lot of these other services I am paying for could yeah. easily be replaced with Amazon Prime. But um, for one reason or another, I chose to go with alternatives. It. Yeah, I like the Amazon services. Like I want to use them because I am paying for them and I've been paying for them. I've been paying for Amazon Prime for a long time. But I don't know. I think I tried the photo backup service and I just didn't like the app. It just felt underdeveloped. And now, especially compared to Google Photos, which is what I consider the gold standard of photo management, it just wasn't as good. But the one cool thing, I'm not sure if you know about this, Rob, but on the iOS version of the Amazon video app, you can actually download and cache videos offline. So you can download, if you had enough storage on your iOS device, a whole season of a television show that they offer. They allow that within the app. Really? You know, I had heard that before, but it totally 
I'd completely forgotten. So that is a pretty killer feature. Yeah, I was on an airplane and I was thinking about like what shows to download and I really wanted to watch Transparent. I haven't cached on, I haven't seen it yet though, but it's cached on my iPad and it was ready to go and I really didn't have to do anything aside from push the single button to download it. Yeah, I know, I think there's a serious case to be made that one day Amazon will be the superior provider in a lot of these realms because they have the infrastructure, they have the content mm -hmm. um, and it's just a better deal. I mean, $80 for Amazon and it is $80, right, for the year? Yeah, like that. and we're also, I think, are you paying the student rate as well? There is a, a am, student yeah. discount. So 50 yeah. bucks for the year, which is pretty unbeatable. I have a fun fact too. I'm not sure when you started subscribing for Amazon Prime or if you share, but I started paying for Amazon Prime when I was a freshman in high school. So I started paying in 2008 for wow. Amazon Prime. I think I had to buy a birthday gift that wouldn't come back in time. I tried the two day shipping because I needed it by that Friday. And then when it renewed, it didn't bother me enough because I kept using it. And yeah. so since then, I've actually changed my credit card to a credit card that actually gives you more cash back, primarily for Amazon purchases. Wow. You know, I'm in the same boat. We used it once and just forgot to renew and it was so convenient, we just kept it. So my family's on it right now. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, I buy all my Christmas gifts, everything. But yeah. the one thing is, do you actually buy your groceries? Like, do you use the Amazon grocery services? Because it's a little bit different. I've wanted to. I've bought things like granola bars, um, more like not less perishable items, but I want to try the pantry. Um, it looks interesting to me. I like dream. Like I, I dream of a time where I don't have to go to the grocery store, and I also don't have to think about running out. Like Amazon will know me enough to know that I'm out of paper towels. Yeah, I'm thinking about trying it this summer when um, I'll be working full time and might not be able to get out as much. And that's probably something you, uh, you know, it'd be probably convenient this past spring when you were working, right? Yeah, and I just I don't know. I, I know people people say that they enjoy grocery shopping. I think some maybe some maybe parents or something like getting out of the house and like walking around. I just find it extremely boring. I like, if I go alone, I have to put in a podcast or something and listen just because I don't find the act of shopping for food that exciting. Mm. I definitely see the appeal. I know my parents enjoy it. And um, as people who are kind of um, less involved in day-to-day -day life, but kind of like quick spurts if I need to be somewhere, it can at times be chaotic, but at other times be kind of nice yeah. way to get out. Um, and I know my parents love going to Whole Foods and then oh, know, yeah. getting a meal and then also getting groceries. That's a whole different experience though. I wouldn't mind True. doing that. Like the Whole Foods, like shopping for the one weird food and getting like the one artisanal drink or something <laughs> from the fridge that you've never heard of. Yeah. I like that part. So we'll see. You know, there's something to be said about going out and shopping, but I appreciate Amazon Prime. And I think for like fundamental things, things you get every week, yeah. um, you know, I could have milk shipped to my house. I, I, I'm not sure if you can agree with me fully, but I think Amazon has spoiled us to the fact where if anything ships longer, than three days or two days, right? It's unacceptable. Oh, absolutely. Two-day shipping is like the killer feature of Amazon Prime. Like now, if anything, if nothing can arrive within two days, then I'm not gonna buy it. I'm gonna actually find an alternative on Amazon if mm -hmm. I have to go to any other website. I've done that yeah. so many times shopping. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and you know, I think that pressure's felt across the industry. They've really made it hard to do shipping online. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot more convergence towards free shipping. On, any, on all but like the smallest vendors, which yeah, is great right. for the consumer, but I don't know how they're doing it. The crazy thing is even at this point, I don't, I can't easily remember where else I've purchased things online. Like my, my whole e-commerce experience as a consumer is derived from Amazon. Yeah. You know, I remember back in the day, I used to trust eBay more than Amazon. Like now I can't even imagine going to eBay. Like, yeah. cause like sometimes you buy things and it comes from Asia and it just takes six weeks and oh, I yeah. just can't wait. Yeah. It's crazy what it's done to my uh, consumer habits, but it's cool. You know, as a technologist, I think it's fascinating. Oh yeah. Like just studying it from like a sociological level too. And like where people are so used to shopping that way. Um, 
but I can't like out of all the services, I think the one thing that I really rely on is probably Amazon Prime, which is surprising. Yeah, and I think moving forward, um, you know, as I leave the bubble that is school, I'll probably rely on it more and more. Cool. Um, and then the last one that we want to discuss, which we discussed a little bit on the last episode, is we Rob and I both subscribe to the iPhone upgrade program. So I guess it's a little bit less of a word subscribe, but we do have a monthly payment. Yeah. And you know, um, I think this is interesting in a lot of ways because the move towards subscriptions um, towards hardware is something we're seeing uh, that's pretty new in the in the PC industry. It's been with cell phones for a long time, mm -hmm. but now moving, well, I guess iPhone is still cell phone, but um, because it's Apple and not a carrier, you know, you're just paying for the device as opposed to the device and service. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really interesting. It's a way for Apple to definitely push more phones. And actually the other day they released another version of the program where if you trade in a phone, you get a reduced rate. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. They also, they also have something now where they're taking back broken iPhones. So the path of getting an iPhone is even easier. There's so many different ways that you can do it yeah. that I think, you know, the whole discussion, we, Rob and I have been discussing recently about how every class as a business case have been discussing the, the decline of iPhone sales and Apple. And I, and I think the iPhone upgrade program, although on the surface level seems very just generic, I think it's a bigger strategy to push more iPhones every single year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's very apparent. Um, and I'm fine with that. You know, it's a great deal. I really enjoy it. And I think it's interesting, you know, am I comfortable in a world where everything is, is a subscription? And um, mm -hmm. something I was reading online was these iPhone upgrade programs, they're very much centered at the U.S. Um, I don't think it's even available in the United Kingdom. And a lot of that relates to, I think, the average debt held by the U.S. consumer, which is um, higher, maybe not significantly, than mm -hmm. a lot of other developed nations. So it's interesting to see the tricks they're doing and the financial innovations they're pulling to get these devices into consumers' hands and keep the flow of iPhones going. Um, so yeah, I read somewhere that most Apple products are used three times. They'll be recycled like once, third time, and then finally they're done. And they can like reflash the BIOS with the different serial number and everything. Oh, really? So it's pretty interesting. I know that's specifically for Macs. Um, they didn't talk about phones. I didn't get through the whole podcast, but I think Absolutely. so. And I like it on a fundamental level because I want as least amount of care intervention when I go in to buy a phone. And I feel like if you remove that layer where consumers go in and they're not focused on about activating their Verizon phone, but they're here to buy a phone and then later decide that they want to move carriers and they can, I think that's super powerful. That that isn't that isn't the focus anymore, especially within the US. It's so carrier focused. Yeah. Uh, about like I'm only a Verizon customer, so I can only go into this retail channel and have their, you know, their commission employees try to sell me something that I don't need. Instead, I'm treating the iPhone as like a device like an iPad or a MacBook Pro, where it's not reliant on that type of service. Definitely. And I think a big pro to this is kind of like that lease culture where I feel like we're getting into, where the cell phone is in a lot of ways leased, your music is leased, your movies yeah. are leased, your productivity tools are leased. Yeah. Um, you know, it is a subscription, but you don't really own anything. You just own the rights to it. And there's pros to that, definitely. Like if I broke my phone, I'd be much less concerned about it with the subscription service where I know it's covered and I know that I will have a new one coming no matter what at no additional charge at the end of that year. So yeah. there's a lot of nice uh, peace of mind to that. There's also a lot less sense yeah. of ownership, which um, I have mixed feelings about, but it's interesting. Definitely. I think, yeah, I I know some people feel a strong attachment to like the record collection, their CD collection, and now their digital files. And that's why they like having their own music files on their computer for iTunes. For me personally, I don't have that type of emotional or sentimental attachment. So I don't really care that I would I could lose my music collection because I could rebuild it. 
I think at this point for me personally, the only thing I really feel ownership over is my photo library, right? Because it's the one type of media that lives on my computer that I can't ever recreate if I were to lose. And that's what I hold most precious to myself. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, <laughs> if something happened to my music, I agree. It's you, you know. Worst case scenario, you'd have to rebuild playlists and it would be an inconvenience. Yeah. I've rebuilt my music library, I think, three or four times between switching services. And I, I think it's fun. <laughs> I miss it sometimes where I like I wish like I wish I had that playlist I made when I was an angsty sophomore in high school. But yeah, it's never bad enough where I'm really upset at the service. Definitely. Okay. Um, so the last thing we just want to briefly touch upon was um, professional software in light of the mobile world. So with the iPad Pro coming out, um, initially when it was released, a lot of developers who make professional software for the Mac, um, like Pixelator you were talking about. Yep. So they have these professional tools that charge professional software prices, and now they're really hit with a dilemma. They want to support these newer interfaces, these new paradigms, but their traditional pricing models won't really hold up, they predict. Um, and I think there's definitely some, some weight to that claim. I don't know a lot of people who will just spend $70 on an app, and there's no trial feature in the App Store. Um, that said, I think this really ties well into the idea of subscriptions. Yeah. I. Talking to like most people I interact with every single day are college students, right? And they're and they're pretty tech savvy and they have an understanding of how the industry works. But if you make them even buy a dollar app or a five dollar app or a ten dollar app, right? As you go higher, a couple more dollars, they get so hesitant on spending it where they can so easily spend that money in Starbucks, right? So I think the app store in the most you know, the last seven years of development, especially, you know, the iOS apps, you're on this mindset where if anything costs more than a dollar or free, it's not worth the payment. And I think that's especially dangerous when Apple wants to pivot into that pro pro mindset with especially the iPad Pro, right? Like people want to use desktop level apps on the iPad, but since they recognize that it's iOS, they're not willing to give the associate cost for that type of software. Definitely. And I think, you know, what's interesting is I feel that, um, and this is me personally, even in the Mac app store, because it is an app store, because of the branding, I guess, I feel almost a sticker shock when I see some of these programs selling for a couple hundred dollars, um, you know, and then I realize like, this is professional software. There's been years of development. And quite frankly, it's probably a better deal than if I were just to buy it myself. But um, we've been conditioned, you know? To be trained that way. And I think a lot of it comes with the need for the app store to really change because it hasn't really evolved since the release with the 3GS, right? It's the same exact model where you, you know, usually developer has to make two versions, the free version, or paid version, or of course the reliance on in-app purchases, especially for games. I think a big part should be trial, because I know as a consumer, there's a lot of great apps out there, and I follow different publications that recommend them, but then I'm not inclined to download them because I'm not sure how it's gonna be or how it's fit into my life. And if there was a very clean cut demo period that I know that I wouldn't have to pay a cent to try it, I probably would end up buying a lot more apps anyway. Definitely. and. Um... Not to toot Microsoft's horn, but the Windows Phone App Store had trials. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've heard great things too. Like, I want to live in a world. There's so many apps where I bought them a lot later than I wanted to because I was so hesitant for a while. And I'm yeah. like, I was like, why didn't I pull the trigger earlier? No, I, I definitely understand that. I have a big wish list on my iPhone, and I'm like, if only I had a gift card or something, you know. But it's my when it's my money, I'm very much very stingy about it. It has to be a good purchase, and I read my reviews and do my homework. And it's so funny because that same amount of money I can easily spend on just like, I was like, oh, I, I want coffee today. I want sushi today. And like, yeah. it doesn't translate into that value. Oh, yeah, definitely. When I bought that macaroni and cheese tonight, I was like, I'm not even hungry, but I just like macaroni and cheese. And it probably, you could probably buy one of those apps on your wish list. Yeah, probably I could spend the 99 cents, but 
but I'm not going to do it. Okay. Oh, was that it for you? Yep, that's all good. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for listening to us. Sorry we went a little bit longer than usual. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate us five stars. We are on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Overcast, and Google Play as of this airing, which is great. So we're really getting out there. Um, you can find us on Twitter at, at Tic Tech Talk Show. I'm at rrusso 44 and Candace is at Candace Poon. Um, thank you very much. Please rate and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at ticktechtalkshow at gmail.com. And thank you very much for listening. Thanks, guys. Bye.